This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurement for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. They have tons of things to choose from. You want a pink suit? You can get a pink suit. And speaking of pink suits, RJ Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped. Featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings, RJ helped pick out and design. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or you can do it yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $390 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, the assistant of my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, apparently. He is super-duper, spectacularial, all that good stuff. Going to skip it this time to streamline the intro a little bit. Uh, or secretary. What are the assistant, secretary? I am the... No, I said you're my lawyer, man. Yeah, that's scary for you. Enjoy prison. Uh, before we get into this Western Conference mailbag, uh, since we're going to try and do these conference-specific mailbags in replace of just report cards, we find these just a little bit more instructive, and we know then we're talking about what you want to hear about. We have the usual housekeeping notes, though. Please, guys, gals, aliens, extraterrestrials, everybody, continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you consume your podcast but iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening. Even throwing us just a rating to help those numbers go up, it will ensure that the podcast is found. So please, we cannot uh, undersell how important it is to us that you continue rating and, of course, subscribing if you haven't done all that already. If you have done all those things, then recommendations are appreciated. Shout us out on Twitter or just retweet the podcast promos that Andy and I are always, always, always dropping. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter as well, at Hardwood Knox. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. You can also follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. I am running that account, so there's straight fire, you know, and bad jokes being dropped pretty regularly. And you'll also be able to check out promos for the other podcasts that the network has to offer. Last but certainly not least, shout out to our three sponsors this week for Hardwood Knox. 
Indochino, who you just heard from. Hey, and I just she, bought two suits from Indochino, by hey, the way. Maybe you should have done the Anne read then that just played. Uh, <laughs> Indochino, ShipStation, and Harry's. You guys are the best. Thank you for supporting the pod. You guys will have promos for all those companies. Be sure to use them. That also helps the podcast as well. So much for that streamed line intro. However, Andy, the question everyone needs to know, how are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm excited to jump into yet another mailbag. You know how much I love these and how much I love the people who send us these uh, questions. Love the people. That is that is Andy's slogan. <laughs> I, I feel like my enthusiasm on that answer really tailed off at the end, but I, I guess that's how it goes sometimes. We do know that you love these mailbags, though. So while it might have sounded boilerplate, we know it was anything but. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, let's just do it. And as a reminder, uh, yeah. we're doing Western Conference. So we're going to talk about Carmelo's MVP candidacy, things like that. <laughs> um, we got a ton of questions about the Mavericks. I, I think Who? they have the, the Dallas Mavericks, the team that you have hated for your entire <laughs> career in sports media. I uh, make Culpa, FYI. I was I think I predicted the Mavericks. No, that article was fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks for blowing smoke up my ass. I always appreciate it. Uh and I always appreciate your low bar for good content. It makes me feel really good. I think I predicted them to finish tenth or eleventh. You had them in the playoffs, I believe. I make Culpa. I was wrong about the Dallas Mavericks. I don't look the the stuff Luke is doing is amazing. It's just not I wouldn't say it's all that surprising because you know how good he is. I just never expected the supporting cast to be this good. Yeah. The Mavericks have the best Better than point differential too, yeah. in the league, and Christoph Porzingis hasn't even been good yet. And they have yeah. a league average defense. This team, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Everyone could bat so, me that. All Baker <laughs> dozen of our listeners. At Ozymatic asks, can you talk a little about how the Mavericks have the best offensive rating in the history of the NBA? Is it just Luka balling out? Um, what are some of your favorite lineups? Uh, he asks about Porzingis. So it's just kind of a wide-ranging Mavericks question. I, I guess I, on the first thing, having the best offensive rating in NBA history, um, it, it almost certainly has to drop off at some point. But the, <laughs> is it too early to say that this is like one of the greatest offensive talents we've seen come into the NBA in Luka? If he keeps this up, no. I that mean, always just comes in terms of like pure talent. Um, I, no, nobody has ever done what he's doing uh, as a 20 year old to just completely seize control of an offense and lead it to this kind of height. Like he, what he, this Ozzy Matic is right. This is the best offensive rating ever right now. And it's completely engineered by a 20 year old. Um, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to describe what's happening just because it's completely unprecedented. I I would agree. I, I don't think it's too soon to say that. It always comes with the caveat that he has to keep this up. But assuming that this is Luka Doncic's normal, which is basically him normalizing the unprecedented at this point, yeah. it, he's absolutely one of the best offensive talents to come uh, through the game. The only, I guess, potential caveat there might be to them having the best offensive rating in history is I haven't looked up their adjusted offensive rating score, what it is relative to the league average. So like, yeah. I, I think that's important to note, but they have the they just they have the best offense in the league, like you said, with a twenty year old steering it. And I don't think I don't think you look at this roster, the pieces that are around him, and say, "Oh, this is certainly a team with that ceiling." He's someone who elevates the play of his teammates. You look at what Tim Hardaway Jr. is doing; can't hit a pull up jumper to save his life this year, mm -hmm. but he's shooting a zillion percent off of Doncic's passes. 
the only player that Doncic doesn't seem to make better is is really Kristaps Porzingis, who is not shooting well at all off Doncic's passes. I don't think it's too soon. I'm with you with everything you said there, and it's I think as high as the bar was for Doncic, it's just and again I I know I said we're not really surprised. This is still just sort of surreal to watch what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I and he's he's seven of eight or seven of nineteen right now against the Timberwolves. So maybe he's having a little bit of an off night um, as we record this on a Wednesday night. But um, yeah, in, in general, just a thirty point triple double average for a twenty year old. And I get you know I get all the caveats. You know, paces up from where it was fifteen twenty years ago. It's still not what it was in the eighties or the seventies or the nineties. Um, and I get that like star players have the ball a lot more than they have in previous eras, but the numbers are just wild to me. Um, Do you have a favorite Mavericks lineup per that question? That's what I was just going to ask since you were, you probably just did a deep dive on them for that article. I was going to throw that at you first. I have two and neither of them have Kristaps Porzingis in it. Uh, my, he's, he's been rough. I yeah. think my absolute favorite is Seth Curry, Doncic, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's been a borderline monster on defense this year. Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell. And then the other one is uh, Delon Wright, Tim Hardaway Jr., Luka Doncic, Kleba, and Powell. Those lineups just basically feel like they click so well offensively. And I, I they have like the right mix of just spacing and guys who can set ball screens, rollers, but, but shooters out of the pick and pop. Uh, I'm a huge Delon Wright fan, and his shooting hasn't been great. This year, uh, Seth Curry really starting to to perk up. It feels like, and I was I was looking this up actually just as I was talking right now. So that's why if I stumbled at all, uh, this is the the reason why the the Powell Kleba Finney Smith Doncic Curry lineup has not played a ton together, but they have a plus seventy point three net rating in under fifty possessions. Uh, those are the lineups that I'd want to see more from. Is probably where I, that's where I was originally going to to go with this and. Uh, their most used lineups, most of them are, are fine, but until Kristaps Porzingis really looks comfortable attacking mismatches, maybe a little bit more comfortable just within the offense overall where he's, I know that's part of his value is stand 28 feet away or 27 feet away and, and jack threes, but I want to see him do a little bit more. And, and until he does, those are just, just the more fun lineups for me. And I think honestly, if, if you're going for the entertainment factor, I don't want to see Doncic off the floor, but the, the Mavericks have, uh, just bench heavy units that that are killers. Bench give me, awesome. give me yeah. Luka Doncic and four bench players, basically, and I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have any like five man lineups, um, but I do like certain combinations. Like I really like the Luka Doncic Delon Wright combination. It's played a lot less than I thought it would coming into the season. When they first signed Wright this summer, I just thought, oh, that's perfect. Um, he seemed like that sort of point guard who's willing to take on the tougher defensive assignment and isn't isn't afraid to let the point forward handle the ball although you know Doncic is obviously he's just a pure point guard this season it's not really a point forward thing um but I just I just thought those two fit together really well and I love the chemistry between him and Dwight Powell um it it seemed like that started to develop last year and they just they just it's one of those combinations where it seems like each guy knows what the other is going to do and Dwight Powell is hitting threes this year. Um, you know, I've I've tuned into a bunch of Mavericks games. He's hitting threes not just from the corner, but he hit an above the break three when I was watching earlier tonight. So he's developing, and I think they have a nice chemistry. That's that's probably the two like two man lineups that I would probably pinpoint. And I I'm still very high on the Doncic Porzingis combination. 
I think it's way too early for like any hot takes about Porzingis. Like I heard on a, uh, I can't remember which podcast it was, but they were talking about should the Mavericks think about trading Porzingis? And I, it's just way too early for stuff. I, like I don't that. even know what they would really get for him either after what they yeah, gave up, especially right now. Um, so I, I think it's you know they still need to wait and see how that develops. I, I, I really like the potential of that combination, but yeah, the, the Mavericks have been <laughs> a ton of fun, and, and the number of questions we got uh, about them suggest that I'm not the only one who thinks that. Well, let me ask you this too, because we talked a lot about over the offseason. I talked about this with Mavs.com's Isaac Harris in the their season preview. Was what would a, a Doncic leap look like? Because it seemed like he just did not not that he had reached his peak necessarily in terms of output, but of what he could necessarily do. And now he does seem kind of quicker attacking in the half court. But I'm wondering if you mentioned it. I think all of us pretty much expected him to to start the game alongside. I don't want to say a traditional yeah. point guard, but another primary ball handler. And perhaps yeah. the fact that he's not is really has really been what's helped unleash him to this extent. I think that's a huge part of it. I first of all, I thought a leap for him would be like twenty five seven and seven, um, <laughs> and and even that seems like I mean those are crazy numbers. But he's averaging basically thirty ten and ten, which is just wild. He's shooting sixty one point seven percent on his two pointers. Yeah, incredible. And he's got a he's got a sixty plus true shooting percentage. Um, there, there's just so many ways. 75% at the rim. Just ridiculous. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Did you, I'm sure you read the Tim McMahon piece about Carlisle, like learning to trust him. Did you see that? Yes. That I, I think piece. that's, yeah, that was good. And I, and it reminded me what you just said reminded me of that piece. Um, the fact that they, they trusted him to just be a point guard this season and to have the ball. Um, you know, basically wire to wire on a lot of these possessions. It's like Harden, um, but it's also not. Uh, I, it's like Harden, but watchable. Too. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and and Rockets fans probably hate to hear that because there are a lot of similarities and, and Harden is sort of loathed by a lot of NBA fans while Doncic is getting all this praise. But um, I, I'll, I'll uh, cite Bill Simmons here. He was on Rosillo's pod today talking about how the ball just does seem to move a little bit more. Like I do think there are a lot of possessions where Doncic will give the ball up and, and relocate it and get, get it back. Um, and I, I think that's true. I think there's just sort of a general, um, I don't know what it, it's not as stagnant as Houston's thing where it literally is Harden pounding the ball into the floor for 20 seconds before he shoots a step back or before he launches himself into someone else's body to try and get a foul. Um, there, there's, there's very little about the Rockets attack at this point that's aesthetically pleasing to me. And so while, um, while Luca is doing a lot of similar things, I, I do think the ball is at least, you know, zipping around the floor a little bit more with Dallas. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And James Harden's really good, but right now, part, part of which is because of just the way the Mavericks offense is set up, as you were alluding to, it does feel like he's just he he's more watchable. Like his part of it, the part of his game is just, I it, it, I don't really know how to explain it. And and what's kind of like funny though is that according to Unpredictable, which just measures the average time of possession, Houston is actually the second fastest in the league, while Dallas mm. is the seventeenth. So going by that, but it, it's like you said, there does seem to just be a little. There seems to be an extra layer to it, and re- that might say more about Harden of how important he is to the, I wouldn't say Doncic is less important than Mavericks offense, but the Rockets are just willing to, to let Harden carry everything like without 
any sort of illusion that someone else will or running yeah. all these different actions. And so look, just respect to him. It's not the most watchable form of basketball, but Harden is a, is a really good player. And I'm not going to be, again, I, I think it's fair to ask about the watchability of it, but I can't criticize his play style because it, it's working and he's damn good. Yeah. Ooh, buddy, believe it or not, it's that time of year again. The holiday rush is coming, Hardwood Knox listeners, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. And how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best rage? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. I can attest to the latter because my wife and my father-in-law co-own a couple of UPS stores together. They use ShipStation all the time for their own personal stuff. Her brother sells sneakers online. They use that all the time. They also deal with ShipStation a lot, and they've talked about how good it is. ShipStation even offers big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of your holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use Hardware Knox's offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Looking for a great gift for that special someone in your life? Harry's is a gift that's both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Here's why Harry's makes a perfect gift for that special guy in your life. It's a great deal for you and for him. Holiday sets start at just $20. That's within Secret Santa limits. Harry's blade refills are also as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box as well. Your gift even gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer for listeners of Hardwood Knox, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash bluewire. On top of that, again, you will get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle that also has the option to engrave, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blade, and it's packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Now that we're on the Rockets, I'm going to go to a Rockets question. Um, and you just you just finished that point by saying Westbrook is – or by, by saying Harden is good. Um, James Nassium at James Nassium OH asks, is Westbrook good? So I'll just leave that to you. Is Russell Westbrook good? Uh, I, I hate like this type of question, but I don't think Westbrook is good for the Rockets. He's probably better in a specific situation where if you put their spacing 
uh, and then in, you have their spacing, and then you insert him, but without that other ball dominant player, maybe mm-hmm. that's really what does it. But it's he is so inefficient offensively this it's year. It's wild, man. He was supposed to get more efficient because of the spacing, and it just it hasn't really clicked. And I'm willing to give it some more time because we're only at the quarter pole of the season, really. But this is concerning, and I, I, I think it's fair to say that Chris Paul has been a more valuable player this season overall. So I, that's that really starts to get into some like weird vibes because of how much they gave up to get him. And so yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of that. Again, it's still early, but you know Westbrook shooting twenty three percent basically from three uh he's hitting 48 percent of his two pointers which is fine for him but but still i mean and look he's scoring more than chris paul he's averaging more assists for 36 minutes but i i think there's a pretty clear case to say that chris paul has been the more valuable player this season and that's a problem when they gave up what, what was it two first round picks and a swap and two swaps basically for and paul for westbrook so that's I'll have to look at the exact parameters of the package, but you gave up what you pay the price you pay for Westbrook. You act as if you were acquiring this upgrade. And I don't think he's been that for Houston. I don't think so either. Um, <laughs> so among players in the three point era, he, he's taken 19.7 shots per game right now. Um, and that number is, was just propped up by the seven for 30 that he had last night, which was just eye popping when I, I was, I was in Denver at the Nuggets game. So I didn't catch any of this Rockets game, but I looked at the box score and saw 30 field goal attempts and just thought, wow, seven for 30 was staggering to me. Um, so anyway, 19.7 shots per game. There have been 196 individual seasons in the three point era in which a player shot at least that many shots per game, um, Westbrook's true shooting percentage ranks 186. 186 out of 196, which is actually a little better than I would have expected. And I'm I'm kind of stalling trying to get to where he ranks in terms of three-point percentage. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of uh, clicking to the end to get to this one. So he's taking 5.3 three-point attempts per game. And among the 522 seasons in the three-point era with that many three-point attempts per game, he's 522nd three-point percentage, which is not that surprising and probably not worth the wait. But, um, he, he, yeah, he's just been wildly inefficient. And it's probably – I think you're right. It's probably more of a bad fit issue than it is, you know, a bad player thing. But he has been, I think, trending in this direction for some time now. And I think it was Samus Fandieri, another – Blue Wire host um, unearthed a a Sherwood Strauss tweet from four or five years ago that said something like, it's going to be really fascinating to see how Westbrook plays in his mid-30s. Um, and I, I think we may be approaching that. He's, he's still playing like he's the, you know, always in fifth gear, pardon the pun, rocket ship, just flying all over the floor, making all kinds of stuff happen. Um, but he, he, he just may not still have that same fifth gear. And there's the Rockets are still getting killed when he plays without Harden in Mm -hmm. 364 possessions without Harden on the floor. Houston is in a minus has a minus 11.9 
net rating, which is the sixth percentile. The offense is in the 43rd percentile during that time, and the defense is in the second percentile. Now, the most used lineup in that situation has only played 32 possessions, so there's been a lot of scattered things. But, you know, we're just talking about maybe it's a bad fit, and if Westbrook's going it alone with good floor spacing around him, it could be different. It certainly doesn't bode well that now his teams have been a net negative when he plays without the other star for two consecutive seasons, I believe. And I'm sure there's been other years where this has happened, but it was that way with Paul George last year in Oklahoma City and now that way with with James Harden. And this is, you bring up his aging. I mean, this is his age 31 season. So he's this hyper-athletic point guard. Those guys, I would say, are, are riskier investments as they get older than yeah. than most others. And so it is going to be fascinating to see how he ages. Yeah, and he's had knee surgeries. Um, and he just, he plays a style that I think is not, I think I'm sure is very physically demanding. Um, so it's, there's, there's certainly reason for concern there. Uh, speaking of concern, DJ Oprah Spinfree at the Eric Mincer asks, why can't the jazz score? Um, so he, he's got a three-parter here. Why can't the Jazz score? How good would Jokic be if he was in shape? And what's going on with the Spurs? How good would Jokic be if he was in shape? Good lord! <laughs> so we've got we've got three questions um, we can get at, and it's it's three teams that I think have some legit concerns: the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Spurs. Look for for the Jazz. I'm mostly going to defer to you on this, but their shot profile is is just Garfield. discouraging. They are third in frequency from from short mid-range and 26th in accuracy from those areas it's bad yeah and look i'll just defer to you from there but it seems like their shot profile isn't what it is they're taking more pull-up jumpers overall compared to fewer catch and shoot looks someone pointed this out i can't remember who and it's not it's not something that i gave thought when this first happened but it, it does feel like there's an adjustment period between mike conley and Rudy Gobert, because he's such a different type of big from what Conley played with in Memphis, predominantly with Gasol, where Gasol is going to pop and Gobert is going to roll. Mm -hmm. That's something worth considering as well. But the the shot profile for Utah is unexpectedly tenuous, is what I'm going to say, because they've had one of the most solid shot profiles for so long. And even now, they're generating some of the highest quality looks. They're they're among the leaders, again, in wide-open three-point attempts, accounting for uh, the largest share of their three-point looks in general. So that's a good harbinger, but the, the other stuff is is perplexing. The Conley adjustment, um, <laughs> I, I'm starting to wonder if it's more than a, an adjustment. Um, maybe this is a guy who's who's starting to see the, the effects of age as well. We just talked about that with Westbrook. Um, he looks significantly smaller alongside Donovan Mitchell than he did again, you know, in, in some of the, you know, bigger alignments that they had in Memphis. Obviously he hasn't gotten smaller, but there's just, he just, he just looks really small, um, in some of these games and, and those two together, both now listed at six, one, now that the NBA has redone some measurements, um, that's, that can be problematic. They dribble into a bunch of difficult shots. Both of them do trying to shoot over guys that are just, significantly bigger than they are and 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 it is weird because they've been so smart about you know taking a ton of corner threes um basically shunning the mid-range over the last few years and now all of a sudden it's like they're hunting those shots um you know they come off go bears screens and it's like the first thing they're thinking about is 
how do I shoot a 10 to 15 footer off balance with a guy in my face? Um, another blue wire host, Ben Dowsett pointed out the other night, he, he said something like, why does it take until the middle of the fourth quarter when the jazz are down double digits for the guards to realize they can get all the way to the rim? Um, it, it does seem like something that happens a lot. Like once desperation kicks in, they start trying to get all the way to the rim. Um, a lot of the slash and kick game that made them, and, and they're, they're more talented offensively this season than they have in the past, but they were still a, able to like put together respectable offensive nights because they were really smart, um, offensively. And they've just, they've, they've gone away from that. Um, so that's, that's, I think you've pinpointed the biggest problem. It's just shot selection. And I think it's largely the shot selection of Conley and Mitchell. And then the other thing that's a big concern to me, and this is another guy that's getting up there in NBA years, uh, and that's Joe Ingles. Joe and, Inglace, yes. Yeah. Royce O'Neal has been fantastic. And so it's hard to say, let's take Royce O'Neal out of the starting lineup to fix Joe Ingles. Um, but I think that might be something that they should explore because, and, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but isn't Ingles being sort of his old self more important than than Royce O'Neal doing what he's doing right now? Um, and I, I think... It's it's too early to give up on Ingles, just like it's too early to give up on anybody else a month and a half into the season. But um, maybe it's time to see what he looks like if you play him with the more talented starting bunch and he can be more of a catch-and-shoot guy instead of running the offense every possession. Um, they, they've got a lot of stuff to work out, that's for sure. I'm, well, I'm rambling at this point. So. Well, I think you hit it on the head with Joe Ingles. And I, look, I, why not even give Bojan Bogdanovich a shot and swap those out? Because Bogdanovich... He didn't run the offense, so I guess that's problematic. But he one did. of those, either Bogdanovich and or Mitchell or Conley should be the guy like piloting the second unit. Yeah, because Ingles. this is what's happened to. I'm not saying this is the root cause, but so last year, uh, Joe Ingles, uh, 40.3 percent of his shots were catch and shoot threes. 19.6 percent were pull up threes. This year. 33.6% of his shots are spot up threes, but 30.8% of his shots are pull up threes. And I think yeah, that's the latter a bad... is a direct result of the lineups he's playing in. And he's shooting 25% on pull up threes. Uh, his overall pull up frequency is, has just increased as well. And he has an effective field goal percentage, which measures both two and three point accuracy of 39.4 on pull up jumpers in general. Now, he did shoot a higher clip of pull up jumpers last year, but when you up the volume and presumably up the level of shot difficulty on them because of the personnel that you're surrounded with, where you're closer yeah. to the main guy than not. I think those are probably close to, to root causes. And, and so I don't disagree with, with your idea, or you have to get better at staggering uh, Conley and Mitchell and, or at least making sure that one of them is on the floor with him at all times. Like you have to get better at doing that. Or maybe, maybe it has to be a, a, a fat, an issue, excuse me, of two of Bogdanovich, Conley, and Mitchell have to be on the floor of Joe Ingles at all times. And that's not really a shot at Joe Ingles. He's not supposed to be a number one or a number two option. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk before the season started, like, oh, Joe Ingles is going to get so many open shots this year because he gets to be the number five option in lineups. Um, and they just, they haven't really given him that opportunity so far. Um, another part of DJ Oprah spin, Oprah spin freeze question was, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically just going to rephrase this. Like what, what is going on with Jokic is my question. <laughs> he just sort of seems to be regressing into this passive state. And I think people have overblown it. There was something going around 
about like this being a problem in the playoffs last year. And it most certainly wasn't because he showed yeah. up in the postseason. Uh, but, and look, he's not even shooting uh, that many fewer shots compared to last season. It's a 1.3 field goal attempt per game difference, which works out to 1.4 field goal attempts per 36 minutes. That said, you don't want to see him shoot less. He's shooting 22.5% on a higher three-point attempt rate. That's problematic. He just doesn't seem as engaged. And there have been, I don't have a metric to measure this right now, but it just feels like there have been fourth quarters where he just disappears. Yeah. And the Nuggets can't have that. And I don't know if it's a, is he out of, is it, he's an out of shape thing? I, I honestly don't know, but the, the Nuggets offense in general has just been something that's surprisingly, I don't want to say, I guess we could say bad. They're 20th in offensive efficiency at this recording. Somebody else asked, um, Let's see if I can find his name now. This 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 is from at B Macklin. Um, why is it that Denver isn't more dynamic offensively? And so I, I think we can I think we can very naturally put those two questions together. Um, the Nuggets will be dynamic offensively when their first team All NBA center starts playing like the dynamic offensive player he's been in the past. He he looks and. <laughs> There have been stretches over the course of his career where he looks disengaged and and um, looks like he's moping, kind of grumpy, and it's you know it's not a great look for a star player. But it's I don't think it's ever lasted this long. Um, and there was some reporting coming out of Denver last night after they lost to the Lakers that the the team has known this all season, but they were kind of avoiding. Uh, acknowledging it and and last night they finally acknowledged yeah he's in a slump and we don't we don't really know what to do about it um because and i know i know you've noticed this too there there in years past there are these two or three week stretches where it just looks like he almost doesn't even want to be there and then all of a sudden he'll go a month and average like 25 12 and 8 for an entire month um i i figured with the way he played in the playoffs last year when he averaged 25 13 and 8 for for two seven game series, um, I thought okay, the the days of like Jokic going through one or two week long malaises are just over because he knows he can dominate. He knows he can dominate at the highest level. He knows he's the the best player on the team. And then he starts the very next season after that wild playoff performance in in just like a month and a half long funk. And I don't, I, I think if anybody had an answer about how to break him out of it, we probably would have heard about it by now. I I don't know what the answer would be. Yeah. There's a part of it to me just feels like, I don't want to oversimplify it, that he just needs to be more aggressive. I mean, he's replaced uh, looks at the rim with these mid rangers and, and long twos. And he's increased his three point uh, attempt rate as well, but 32.3% of his shots came at the rim last year. That's down to 20.6% this year. Uh, his free throw rate has plummeted accordingly by almost 10 percentage points and so he's kind of his shot distribution looks closer to where it was in the 2017-2018 season and he wasn't a bad player then by any stretch he was certainly more efficient than he is now but last season was the best version of himself where it seemed like there were fewer of those stints in the regular season than none of them in the playoffs it felt like he was just mostly always on but to see he said after that loss to the Lakers. I'm not going to be like you and date this podcast over and over again. Shame on you, Andy. <laughs> but I, where he said, coach just doesn't want me shooting and, and I'm okay with that was basically the synopsis of it. It was just a, it was a really disturbing comment to hear from your 
your your franchise cornerstone who's supposed to be I had him yeah. as a top five or seven player entering the season. So uh, something's up. I don't know if it's he's out of shape or if it's if it's this mental thing or if he's just going through an extended rut. But like you said, he's gone through these ups and downs before. I don't know if that earns him the benefit of the doubt, but maybe that's sort of a, a glimmer of hope. The the exact quote, though, this comes from Harrison Wind from Jokic. Right now, I'm struggling. So, Coach, he's a smart guy. He's not going to give the ball to the guy who's not making shots. I'm cool with it. I'm good. And I, I don't even think that's what's happening either. His like, usage rate has dropped, but his I don't his touches the don't last time I checked aren't down. I don't think it's Malone who's like giving him fewer shots though. I it, maybe he's got to tell himself that, but he's he's the he could go out there and shoot as much as he wants. I don't think Malone's going to stop him. But that Malone would probably love it. And the yeah, other exactly. thing, is, the the other thing is, it's not like he's taking uh, all these fewer shots. Like I pointed out before, his touches are yeah. down by about two and a half per game. That's not that's not a lot, and his, compl- yeah, his should, playing time is almost identical. He's like shift. <laughs> yeah, so and it's not like he's there's this deficit of time of possession about three point three uh, minutes per game, I guess, or average seconds per touch for him is two point one seconds this year. It was two point three last year, and so these aren't like huge differences. So I again, it, it feels like it's tough to quantify what's actually going wrong. We could point to his shot distribution needs to be better in this and that, but it feels like it's tough to quantify what's actually going on here. Yeah. Very difficult to quantify. Um, I'm going to try and come, I'm going to try and combine some Spurs questions. Um, At Kev on sports asks us, will DeRozan and Aldridge be Spurs past the trade deadline? Um, DJ Oprah sprint spin free. He's getting a lot of shout outs tonight. He, he asks just generally what's going on with the Spurs. Um, let's see if that's it for, of the ones that what I seems t- to be going on with them is their defense is bad. They're 25th in defensive efficiency <laughs> and now their offense isn't elite and it's down to 14th in point score per hundred possessions. And you need to be higher than that. Their effective field goal percentage is ranks 18th. So they're just not, they're not they're not even elite at getting to to the free throw line they're they're some of their lineup seems like there's this complete imbalance on the offensive end people want to make fun of their shot profile which is fine i know that they cater to their players strengths but they they got to figure out their their starting lineups have not been good this year i think they need to lean even heavier i would say into these rudy gay at the four combinations which seems which seem like they've been more effective for stints as far as whether DeRozan and Aldridge are going to finish the season as Spurs, I think, look, the Spurs have not pulled off a midseason trade since 2014. Yeah. That was the great Nando DiColo for Austin Day blockbuster swap. <laughs> so it's always probably better to say they'll finish it. My 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 official stance now, though, is they need to trade DeRozan. That's, I'm not trying to blame him for everything, and I think he's actually a good player in a specific situation. The Spurs just don't have the the floor geom- geometry to carry it and it'd be different if they were still fifth in offensive efficiency like they basically were last year but they're not and so you need to open just more minutes on the wing especially when you're going to play them at small forward you're giving up a lot yeah. defensively and that's just if they're looking to salvage this season I think that's the way to do it it's not I don't want to pin it on DeRozan but I think moving him particularly if you get someone of value in return maybe it's a bigger package that includes Aaron Gordon or something along yeah. those lines that that ends up helping you. So it's 
that's my official stance on the Spurs as, as of right now. And they are, I did look this up for Rudy Gay. They're plus 2.6 points per 100 possessions with Rudy Gay at the four. The defense still is an elite, but it's really hard to cobble together great defensive lineups with this Spurs roster. Yeah. Maybe play Lonnie Walker more too. I'm all for more Lonnie well, Walker. He's, yeah, he, he made a case for himself against the Rockets the other night. Um, so I think, I think Aldridge and DeRozan will be Spurs past the deadline. One, because of what you said, they just, that's not really their MO to make a move in the middle of the season. And two, I just, I don't know what kind of trade value either of those guys has right now. I know that there was some buzz about the magic and you just mentioned Aaron Gordon. Um, I think I'd probably rather, rather have Evan Fournier out there shooting a bunch of threes and scoring efficiently. And I don't think he's any worse defensively than DeRozan is. So um, I, I'm not sure how much, DeRozan does for the magic and I I don't mean this to be like mean but I just think DeRozan has been miscast over the course of his entire career um he's just he's not a a guy who should be like your alpha um and maybe he isn't with the the Spurs and I don't think he was with the Raptors either despite what most people thought I I think it was a a matter of he was their highest volume player, but their most important player was Kyle Lowry. And yeah. I think you can make the case that now the Spurs' most important player is, if you want to say, the Marcus Aldridge. Yeah, and, and that's probably a good way to put it. But I, I think that Lowry is just better. And, and and I guess we get into the philosophical debate about what's the difference between most important and better or best. Um, but I, I don't want to turn this into like a DeRozan bash fest i just i just don't think he's ever been in quite the correct role um i don't think he necessarily needs to be like a heat check guy off the bench either um it i i just and like you said they had a good offense last season it really defied my expectations i just i i have such a hard time thinking that you can win at a high level these days with a guy who's so dependent on the mid-range and free throws i Uh, I kind of agree with you, but he hasn't been inefficient this year himself. It's the problem yeah. that his problem style and the Spurs' pose when they collide with everything else around him because, look, it's an issue if you actively can't play Murray, Derek White, and DeRozan together because mm-hmm. those should be three of your four best players. And I think they've avoided the, the Murray-White combinations like the plague anyway too. So that's, that's, not, that's not even DeRozan's fault then yeah. either. Is where I'm at. I do have two DeMar DeRozan trades. That's another thing. Before you do that, that's another thing that they should be doing in general right now. It's just experiment with those three young guys, Murray, White, and Walker. Like, you're at a point now where it's time to just try stuff. So so I would play all three of those guys together. What the heck? I would also just love to see, I know this is like a diluted take, but like, why not just have DeMar DeRozan shoot threes like Toronto did? It yeah. helps you just by having that that volume. I know that the Spurs are an organization that caters to their players' strengths. I feel like they're trying to prove something at this point. I don't. Well, it's not working. They're backfiring. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. You had sorry, I cut you off a second ago though. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're coming up on trade season, which is among my favorite times of the year, especially when we're not. I like this season because we're focusing more on basketball, which I feel like makes the trade talk a little bit more special i feel like i was seeing trade scenarios and free agency scenarios in my sleep last year uh the two derozan trades that i have so the magic get bellinelli derozan and Bryn forbes the spurs get aminu who's injured right now aaron gordon and mo bamba and the justification here is however low you are derozan he's still an all-star 
And if you're the Magic, you're getting him and Bryn Forbes, two players who you can't afford in free agency because you don't have cap space. This is assuming DeRozan uh, opts out of his contract. So it's not like, oh, the Spurs are getting too much for expiring contracts. You're also getting off of the Aminu deal, which has turned into one of the worst of the offseason. Yeah. I don't know how high they still are in Mo Bamba, but his playing time has not increased during Vucevic's absence. We've seen a lot more of Kemp Birch, who's who's good. And so the Spurs get younger, but also without kind of punting on this season yet. And maybe when Aminu comes back, he helps their defense. He can be, uh, he's someone who could defend bigger wings for them. He did shoot 35% from three in his previous four seasons that has created this year. And then Gordon just gives them some some pep on defense. And I think there are a lot of people that would say, the Magic might be giving up two of the three best assets here when you look at Bamba and Gordon. I think that's fair to say, but I'm not, I don't see Aaron Gordon ever consistently being a valuable offensive player, at least in Orlando. And so that would be the justification for me for a deal like this. I like it. The other one I have is the fuck it deal. The Spurs need to do something nuclear. And so DeMar DeRozan, Marco Bellinelli, two functional expirings, if you assume. Rosen opts out to Oklahoma City for Chris Paul. It doesn't help San Antonio's size issue. Now all of a sudden you have Murray and White and Paul, but he's going to improve your defense. Uh, I would, yeah, I'd do that too. And his command, <laughs> I think, is important for a half court offense that has seemed to drop off in recent weeks. Yeah. So that's just that's like, hey, let's shake this up. We still want to compete. I know the three years, uh, or l- let's not include this season. So two years and eighty five point six million left on his deal is kind of scary. But Paul's been really good this year. Yeah, I'm in on that one too. We've only really talked about like uh, two or three teams, but I think we might already be in rapid fire mode. Yeah, let's go. Uh, well, let's try and cover as many teams as possible then in this rapid fire piece. Okay. So now, was it all the Texas teams? Mavericks, Rockets, Spurs. Yeah. Well, we talked about Denver and Jazz. Hey, we got five teams. We're good. Hey, yeah, I underestimated us. Speaking of trade, should the Warriors trade Draymond Green? That's what at DavinCI underscore nine zero one asks. Why would you do it now when his value seems to have been lowered? Yeah. yeah, it's I, I I get it, but I'm just of the mind, move into this summer, and then you're going to have, if you want to look at him as a trade asset, Draymond Green, D'Angelo Russell, Eric Pascal now turn himself into an asset, and then whatever pick you end up with. And then just see what the landscape is from there. There's no reason to do it this season because what are you – Unless someone comes in with a mind melting offer, but I'm not even sure what that looks like because Draymond Green on a on a healthy Warriors team, I think, is one of the most valuable players in the league. Yeah, I think the uh, I think that the Draymond Green trade talk at the very start of this Warriors tank was reasonable, but that ship may have sailed already because he he really has, like you said, his value has fallen off a cliff um, over the course of this season so i'm i'm with you you just kind of this is just a reset year um for the warriors they you know hopefully we'll have everybody everybody back and healthy next season and take another run at it but i you know that that door in general may be closed for them um how long until sacramento is a playoff team that's from at 303 abb i mean at least at least another year I don't know what other yeah, I don't teams think they're going to make it this year either. There, I mean, they're closer. They're game out, and without De'Aaron Fox, mm-hmm. that's actually impressive. If we had a, I'm going to set an over under. Let's do it this way. I'm going to give you an over under of 2022 for the Kings' next playoff berth. Are you going to take over the, meaning it'll be pat later than 2022? Sooner or later, let's call okay. it sooner or later than 2022. 
Uh, later. <laughs> I'm going to say sooner. Okay. Um, you I'm know glad. I'm a De'Aaron Fox believer. You, I yeah. believe your exact quote was when I uh, ranked him in the top 25 for NBA 100, you said, that's aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I stand by that um, quote. Did they? Uh, did you see the buzz about Boyan? Or yeah, not Boyan. Bogdan Bogdanovich and the uh, um, Bucks. No, I don't. I don't even know if it was just like a Bucks writer throwing it out there or an actual. Are you whatever. like reading the Inquisitor or something? <laughs> Might have been something like that. But they were talking about how the how the you know the Kings aren't going to want to pay Bogdanovich's next contract, and it is going to be big. Um, he's speaking of the absence of Fox, he's been fantastic, um, during that stretch. So he's, he's one of the most intriguing young ish guys. He's actually older than I think most people realize he's in his late twenties cause he came over later. Um, they, they do have a lot of interesting young players. I'm not as high on Fox as you are, but I'm, you know, he's, he, I think he's obviously one of the better young point guards in the league. I'm pretty high on Marvin Bagley. Um, so I guess it's safe to assume that their talent carries them to the playoffs in the next few years, but the West is just so stacked, and I'm going to go with uh, what history has told me about the Kings for the last several years. As far as the Bogdanovich thing goes, I believe Jonathan Tajarch, the ringer, wrote about how he could be a good fit in Milwaukee towards the end of November, so I'm not sure if, if that's what you're saying. Also, speaking of a of another Bogdanovich, still not the biggest fan of Bojan's contract in Utah, but he has just been... Fantastic. He's yeah. been amazing. As yeah, far, I mean, he's been like the one offensive just monster for them on yep. a consistent basis. By far their best offensive player. Uh which might be a little problematic, but Yeah. Um so yeah, there's a lot of concerns with Utah, but he he certainly hasn't been one of them. At Riley underscore, I'm gonna say Haug. You can tell me if I pronounce that wrong. Two. Are you ready to call Cat the best center in the NBA? And then he puts in parentheses, assuming Anthony Davis is a four now. Anthony Davis is definitely a four now. Yeah. And I think Cat is the best center in the league right now. Yeah, with the way that Jokic has been playing. Even Embiid hasn't been great no. this year. I don't know who else you would throw. I think it's pretty discussion. clearly Cat. Yeah. And we, we mentioned him earlier. He's taken almost 10 threes a game. I don't know if that was actually before we started recording. Um <laughs> not not 10 i think you said it was 10 threes per 36 minutes it's it's maybe around like nine a game um, it is 9.7 per 36 minutes and he's hitting them at a 42.1 percent clip it's just that wild he's shooting like step backs and he's shooting isolation threes um he i don't i don't know if many people understand just how ridiculous his career true shooting percentage already was um like like he's an astronomical territory for efficiency already and now he's up to like last time i checked and it sounds like you may have his page up so you can you can double check me but i think he's at like 65 or 66 true shooting this season he is at four true shooting 64.8 64 yeah it's just absurd i mean this <laughs> that many three-point attempts per game and that kind of true shooting percentage that's like stephen curry level um scoring which is just wild to think of from a center uh to me he's he is pretty obviously the best center in the league right now can you name or i'll give you how many players have matched his three-point volume per 36 minutes and his efficiency in nba history in nba history yeah. curry and maybe no i'm just gonna say curry that's it what if we're 
you're all right. You're right because it is ju- up until now. <laughs> it is just Curry. He's done it twice, but there's also another player doing it this season. Can you guess who it is? Uh, Buddy Hield. Davis Bertans. Oh wow, that's crazy. So as of now, the four. Play- hey, I tried to tell everybody how stupid that Spurs trade was. Look, I stand by it. Marcus Morris is playing really well, by the way. Before his, or at least was before his injury. Uh, so give me, give me Davis. No, you're you're out. This is some. Like galaxy brain, George Hill is better than DeMar DeRozan shit that you're on. Okay, right I, I've I've got multiple blind polls incoming. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I guess that moves us on to another question. Um, do you think the Suns will make the playoffs? Let's end on this one. Oh, this is I'm gonna say no, just because. I don't know. I'm just now they're below 500. I'm sure we we can bank on Rubio and Baines being healthier as they sort of move through the season. Kelly Uber Jr. is playing off his mind. Devin Booker's proved that that he's good. I'm still just skeptical. What's going to happen when Aiton comes back? And this might just be stubbornness on my part. I kind of feel like the Blazers or the Spurs that one of them is going to turn it around and get to the final spot. And this almost feels like a question of. Who's more likely to make the playoffs, uh, the Timberwolves or the Suns? And I, I mm-hmm. think it's the Timberwolves at this point. That's not even trying to be a shot at the Suns. I'm just curious as to whether. Well, we just talked about how Towns is the best center in the league, so I don't. I, I think you're right on there. But like their their loss to Orlando on Wednesday night, like that's not a game that you want to lose because the Magic. Look, you gave up. They gave up 128 points to what has been the worst offense in the NBA that was missing its best offensive player. Yeah. That's sort of an issue. So that would be my guess is that they won't make the playoffs. I would probably, I'm going to say the same thing. Um, But even as they're, they're nine and 11 right now, um, they're still very much in the mix and it, you know, it's, it's early. So that's not a surprising thing for me to say. But here, here are the six teams, according to 538, that have a 98% or better chance of getting in. That's the Clippers, the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Mavericks, and the Jazz. No surprises there. Then there's a group led by the Suns, actually. The 538 gives the Suns a 45% chance to get in. Timberwolves, 43. Blazers, 40. Thunder, 31. Pelicans hanging around at 29. Kings at 16. And then they have the Grizzlies, Spurs, and Warriors all at less than 1%. Um, and so it's, you, you just said that you probably bumped the Spurs up into that group of, of playoff contenders. Um, so we've got six in that, that super high probability. And then if I had to pick two more right now, I would probably go with the Timberwolves and the Blazers. It's tough. Um, Look, they very well could do it. I, and their losses, they haven't come against all shitty teams of late. They lost to they lost at Denver. That's always a tough place to play. Yeah. They did lose to the Wizards, uh, but the, the Wizards are scoring a, a trillion points uh, on everybody. Incredibly, yeah. <laughs> you, you lose to Dallas. Uh, and, uh, the Orlando loss is bad. And uh, Look, they've been banged up, so maybe this is just such a tough call. But it does seem to me to be a matter of, is it going to be Minnesota or Phoenix that makes the playoffs? Because I, I would be taken aback if both of them do. And I, I think at this point, I'm just more inclined to go with 
at least Minnesota. one of the standbys get in. Yeah. Or not. That's the optimist more. take. At least one of Minnesota and Phoenix will get into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it's just Phoenix was initially started the season so well defensively, and now they're down to 17th in defensive efficiency. They're 21st in opponent effective field goal percentage. Uh, they do force a ton of turnovers, but they also foul every other second. Yeah. Do uh, what was I gonna? I forgot what I was gonna ask you. Oh, have, has there been any new reporting on Nurkic? Like, do we have any idea when he'll come back? No, I haven't seen anything except for like he debunked the rumor that he was ahead of schedule, and then like he okay. quote tweeted it by saying Yusuf Nurkic is perfectly on schedule or something like that. Okay, um, and I guess it'll probably take him some time to get up to speed after he comes back too. But and maybe uh, this is record shock on our part. Maybe we have to get used to the idea that the eighth seed in the West is going to hover yeah, around 500 or a little bit lower. And so perhaps we yeah. should be a little bit more higher, higher on the suns, but there, there's just, I don't know. There's, there's weird red, you know, five and seven at home. There's just these weirdo trends for them that, that are getting a, just a little bit awkward. I will say though, if you're going to say that Baines and Rubio are healthy for the rest of the season and maybe eight actually ends up helping them, it could certainly happen, but but again, we're just saying that it's more likely Minnesota makes the playoffs right now than Phoenix. Five thirty eight does not agree, though. You said right. Phoenix, they've, yeah, they've of that group that's right after the top six. They have Phoenix at forty five, which leads that group. Um, did Did you remember seeing the stuff about Aiton playing the four before the season started? I think wasn't it Aiton that started that stuff? It might have been, yeah. And now that I've seen how good they look with Baines, I wonder if they'll try that when he comes back. Um, my last point on the Suns before we wrap up, have you seen the Baines fan club Twitter account? I, I saw it only because you retweeted like, <laughs> it's like an infinity number of their tweets. It is one of my favorite accounts on Twitter right now. That guy is hilarious. Like one of the ones I retweeted last night was he updated the all-time scoring leaderboard with Doncic behind Baines. <laughs> Which I thought was just amazing. He's whoever's running that thing is good for some wonderful content. So he just got a free plug. And like you say, we do have dozens of listeners. So maybe he'll get a couple more. My last note on the Suns is I'd like to see more Mikael Bridges. His playing time has been up and down all year. Weird sophomore uh, slump or regression or whatever. I'm, I'm with you there. And with that, we've we have wrapped up this Western conference mailbag my apologies if we did not get to your team or i did not see your question um the those texas teams were just so fun for us to talk about we got a little carried away um if you want to hit us up on twitter i'm at andrew d bailey dan is at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e the show is at hardwood knocks the podcast network is at blue wire pods um if you click on shop there you can find the shout out to benno udry and kyle anderson t-shirt which is how we end every episode. So um, go go out there, buy the shirt, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, we leave you with that shout out to Ben Oudry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.